You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? And welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for being here. We have an awesome show for you today. I am very excited. I am welcoming Rachel Cushing. Rachel Cushing works in post-production and she happens to be my partner in a little movie trivia league that we play on on Collider Video called The Schmodown. And um, so I met Rachel about a year ago, maybe a little more, when she was in the audience of a live taping of this um, of this league that we play in. So basically the way I always explain the Schmodown is it's, it's wrestling with movie trivia. So instead of actually physically getting into the ring, we are nerding out, uh, over movies and, um, it's a competition that airs on Collider video. We all take it really seriously. And, um, so Rachel was sitting next to me in the audience of a live taping or of a taping of a match. And, um, I could hear her answering all of the questions under her breath. And I I was like, holy smokes, this girl knows lots of stuff and um, she needs to play right now, like immediately. So I ran over to Christian Harloff, who created the um, who works over at Collider Video and uh, he created the movie Trivia Schmodown with Mark Ellis. And I was like, listen, we're always looking for more women and Rachel needs to play. And so um, here we are a year later. Rachel has become a superstar in the league and she is um, she just went up against Sam Levine for the belt. And um, even though she didn't win that match, she is, I want to say, one of two competitors to go to the um, to play for the singles belt that are two female competitors who to go for the singles belt. Um she and I are those two. So anyway, she's my partner now. And um, I really wanted to have her on the show because she, in addition to being um, a, a great gal, um, she works in the industry in post-production as an editor. And she has this wealth of knowledge that I hadn't you know, that you wouldn't know if you didn't get to know her. And um, she picked Saving Private Ryan. And I, I have to be honest with you, I was really surprised because if you know anything about Rachel um, from her public persona, at least, you know that fantasy is sort of her wheelhouse. I mean, granted, fantasy Oscars, um, she, she it's hard to find a weak spot for her when it comes to her passions. But I wasn't expecting um, Saving Private Ryan or war films, specifically World War II films, um, to be something that she was an expert in. And I was wrong. And that's what's so interesting about doing this show is you get to know everybody and you get to sort of take a peek inside what makes them them. And it's really fun and exciting. And um, as you will hear in this episode, I had actually never seen Saving Private Ryan before. Have you guys noticed that that's a theme? Like so many of these movies I've actually never seen. But with Saving Private Ryan, there was a reason. I was a little young when the movie came out. Um, and uh, and then as I got older, you know, I, I would say that I 
I may have avoided the movie because I had always been told like what an experience it is. And, um, and that it was a, an amazing film, of course, but um, but that, you know, it was going to be an exhausting experience. And it was, but I'm so glad that I did watch it and I watched it in the order that I did. So uh, if you haven't noticed over the last handful of episodes, a lot of my guests have been picking war movies, which I um, which took me by surprise and was purely coincidence, but was also, you know, really cool. And um, and so we talk a lot about some of those past episodes, specifically the one with um, Alicia Malone talking about William Wyler's The Best Years of Our Lives and talking uh, with um, Mark Ellis about Good Morning Vietnam. Um, so if you haven't listened to those episodes already, you might want to. Um, and if you haven't seen those movies already, you might want to. Um, but this is a really, really fun episode. And uh, I found it to be informative. And we talked, we, we had some big life discussions. And um, so I, I hope you guys like it as much as I did. And I hope you get to know Rachel a little bit more through this episode. And, um, and I think today, so if you're listening to this the day it comes out, our debut match as a team, as the Shire Wolves hits Collider video today. So you can listen to the episode and then you can go watch the match or you can watch the match and then listen to the episode, whatever you please. But um, anyway, that's uh, I think that's a good enough introduction for now. Thank you guys for being here. And without further ado, this is Rachel Cushing talking about Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> good I've had so many technical mishaps oh you're you're just starting out of course I know and it's it's like it's oh I know and I'm in the presence of a (laughs) post-production but um yeah it's just been it's been so funny because the card will malfunction and be like card full and Mm. I'm thinking no you're not full I just (laughs) emptied you or you know the batteries will die midway through the conversation or whatever it is so Fingers crossed that we will not run into this situation okay. again. I don't think that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the show is not formal. Mm-hmm. We can just chit-chat. Sounds good. So, uh, Rachel, <laughs> first question. What is your favorite part about being my Schmodown partner? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's an icebreaker. There it is. <laughs> that it finally got me an invitation to be on Sending the Wolf. Ooh, there it is. Woohoo. Well, I think you're my, you're maybe my 15th interview nice. or conversation. So you're really towards the beginning. True enough. Which is great. Yeah, I have to say, though, I, I love listening to And you've had so oh. many of our mutual friends. I mean, this whole year has been introducing me to people like you and, and within the Collider sphere and, and mm-hmm. Schmodown. And, and the best thing about it has been finding like-minded mm-hmm. people that love movies. And um, and so I've loved listening to your, your podcast because you're talking to a bunch of people that we've both talked to a bunch about this thing that we all love, mm-hmm. movies. And like you said, it's informal and it's conversational and you never know quite where the conversation is going to go. And, uh, and so many people have picked such interesting movies yes. that wouldn't necessarily be what you would think that they would pick, which I liked too. So. Which you are in the grand tradition of, which I love. <laughs> I love that. We have to, we should tell the people listening that uh, um, Lord of the Rings was on the list. Yes, I did pitch it. Uh, you. Yes. And, um, but when you suggested Saving Private Ryan, I was like, I'm sorry, what? Um, and it has nothing to do with, with you know, um, gender or anything no. that I know about you. I just kind of was like, that's not 
something that I was anticipating right. for you to pick. And when we were kind of emailing back and forth about it, you revealed this information that you're kind of a World War II buff. Yeah. I mean, which is which is fascinating to me <laughs> for lots of reasons. But I want to ask you, like, where where did that come from? Do you have veterans in your family or, or just what? where did that come from? Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, didn't fight in World War II. Um, uh, but, you know, g- going back, there were relatives that did. And um, I've always, always loved history. I think that my parents do and, and that, you know, came through really strong when we were little. Um, and then my dad and I shared a love of old World War II movies. This is crazy. So um, th- that's a, like early memories of mine are watching these, you know, the classic World War II movies, which, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about in terms of why I love them, but also why I love Saving Private Ryan and the, all the ways that it's very different from those movies. Mm-hmm. Um I'm talking about things like The Longest Day and, you know, A Bridge Too Far and and, uh, Where Eagles Dare, Guns of Navarone, all of those kinds of movies I would watch with him. And when I decided to go to college, I majored in film, but I minored in history Mm. purely because I love it. I think truth is stranger than fiction and I love biopics and I love movies about things that really happened or based on true events and um, documentaries. and, and, And I have an entire bookshelf at home completely dedicated dedicated to military history and history of various um, campaigns in World War II, all of Stephen Ambrose's books, all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's something that fascinates me on a a sort of weirdly tactical level, Mm -hmm. but also in a historical perspective level and then on the ground level, you know, the stories about people who, who were teachers and carpenters and stay-at-home dads or, or, you know, the the people that fight in wars were ordinary men and, and, hearing their stories, I think, is, is important and also fascinating. So. Would, would your dad, um, when you were watching the movies, would he sort of break down for you a little bit of context? Like, let me tell you a story or let me explain to you what's going on, you know, based on his personal experience? On his experience and his love of, of that kind of stuff, too, for sure. We would geek out on, you know, something like World War II. Like, you know, this was Operation Overlord and we could name all the beaches at Normandy and we would talk about the different companies and the 101st Airborne, the 506. And like, you know, we would just kind of geek out in a weird way over that kind of stuff. And um, my dad and I are very close. We've been close my whole life. I'm close to my everybody in my family. But he and I, in very specific ways, have a lot of the same loves. And this is one of them. So. It's funny because war films are probably, it's probably war movies and westerns are the two that I have yeah. such little um, experience with. Mm-hmm. But also... Um, I don't know. It's a preference for, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but I do think that this type of stuff is uh, introduced to you in a certain way that makes it extra meaningful or extra passion. You know, there's extra passion involved. Yeah, clearly there are layers with it for me. But, you know, there's the layers with having shared that love with my dad and then my love of history and then my love of movies. And, you know, from filmmaking perspectives too, again, we'll talk about it with Saving Private Ryan, but like what it took to make these movies, I find fascinating from a behind-the-scenes perspective, too. Yeah. So there's, like I said, there's, there's all kinds of reasons and ways in which I get into these kinds of movies. There's a whole history and universe and and 
so much information about Hollywood during this time mm-hmm. that I find endlessly fascinating yep. because it's um I started watching um so Alicia Malone I just recorded an inter- a conversation with her awesome. and um I don't know if by the time this conversation comes <laughs> out the so it's either I've said it, uh, you know I always say this it's either um a plug for or you know a stay tuned like go listen right. to it or stay tuned but she picked William Wyler's movie, The Best Years of Our oh Lives. Oh my God, I love that movie so much. Yeah, and <laughs> um, and it was so funny for so many reasons because that was a movie that, you know, when you when people think about William Wyler, they probably think of Roman Holiday oh, or yeah. they think of Funny Girl. Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But this is a movie that I think, Best Years of Our Lives, <laughs> that... Um, I don't know if a lot of people remember still, no. even though it was so acclaimed at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so as a result, I, I of this movie, Saving Private Ryan, and um, The Best Years of Our Lives, I watched, I started watching Five Came Back, the Netflix oh, docu- okay. documentary. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just the context that was going on is, to me, endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Like, it's so crazy interesting. Hold on one second. The air conditioning came back on. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a rookie mistake. And I, I, the AC is always the rookie mistake. <laughs> I just heard that sound and I was like, is that a plane? That's way too much to be a plane. Um, but this period of history in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, where um, so many like Jewish men were running the studio and seeing what was happening in Europe, yeah. but also not wanting to cut off the business elements in Germany or overseas. Yep. And um, and the idea of, you know, it came up with Mark Ellis when we were talking about Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. Everybody's been picking war movies lately, <laughs> by the way. And we'll talk about that because... It has not been fun um, in, in some ways. But, you know, um, like talking about Chaplin and, and Chaplin making the transition into talking films mm-hmm. uh, with the great dictator. And, you know, I mean, Charlie Chaplin had a, um, a very interesting life personally and professionally. But, you know, Charlie Chaplin was not met with, um, oh, good for you when he was making The Great Great Mm -hmm. Dictator or even when it came out or even after the fact Mm -hmm. and was deported or Mm -hmm. asked to leave pretty soon after The Great Dictator came out. And I just think that we, our mindset or our, our, um, beliefs is the story we've been told about World War II as we look back is is so different. Than what they were experiencing at yes, the time. Yes, that's yeah. right. And but this this element of Hollywood too, I think, is just yeah. endlessly fascinating. Absolutely. Um so all right. So with Saving Private Ryan though, um I I'm really glad that you picked this one, even though it's like my third or fourth World War movie and I'm <laughs> feeling I'm just in um you know, emotional wreck as a result. But um, I had never seen this movie. Wow. Yeah. I had never seen it. Um, mm. It was, I think, by choice. So, like... It it's c- the kind of movie that, like, you have to, like, be ready for. Because you knew of it. I'm sure you oh, knew yes. about the first 20 minutes. Of and you course. understood the, the historical significance and the filmmaking significance. And, like, so this isn't the one where it's like, what do you want to watch tonight? Just going to pop this movie in on a Friday night? This is not that movie for yes. you. So, um, yeah, it's. I remember um, feeling that way about the first time I saw Schindler's List. Yes. I had to, like, 
like steel myself, be ready for it because I knew it was going to be ultimately hard to watch. Oh yeah. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody reaches for, uh, I mean, honestly, even if you've seen the movie a million times, even if you've seen Saving Ryan, Private Ryan a lot and you're, and it's not new or shocking to you. It's still going to have that emotional impact. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't imagine anybody being like, Oh, you know what I want to watch right now? Um, for for in entertainment purposes, sure. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so watching it for the first time. And by the way, yes, of course, I had seen the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. I knew Ryan, Private Ryan, was Matt Damon, um, <laughs> which made the which made the Nathan Fillion gag really <laughs> really fun, extra fun. Um, and you know, I knew Barry Pepper was in the movie. Mm-hmm. I knew I you know I knew a lot about the movie, sure. but I had never seen it. And what's fascinating to me about this is like from a very um, individualistic perspective. You know, when I watch these movies, I take notes. Um, yeah. and, it, and I've said it a million times, this is not a history lesson or a trivia contest. Um, I'm not going to play a trivia contest against <laughs> you. Uh, but, but I wrote basically nothing down for this movie. Interesting. Um, and, and I wrote basically nothing down because I kind of was, I mean, coming to it, Mm, however many decades later mm-hmm. after it had been released. I mean, what, are we celebrating the 20th? Uh, 2018, yes, we would. Yeah, this, so uh, this year. July of 98. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's the 20th anniversary of this movie. What is there to be said? You know, what, what rather um, intelligent observation could <laughs> I make <laughs> that hadn't already been made, you know? So so I really just ultimately experienced it this and time. And that's the best way to describe this film, yeah. especially the beginning, but I would argue the whole thing too. It's like, you know, we both having, since we play in this schmodown thing, like yes. we watch movies with a pen in hand and, and you think about it in terms of facts and and also thematic, you know, like you said, takeaways and whatnot. But this is a movie that you like, I prefer to sit back and just sort of let it wash over you and like, and let the emotion hit you. And sometimes you can't articulate emotion. And I think that that's why you call it an experience versus like you said, something to watch for enjoyment or something to watch to study, you know, any, in any of those ways. But I do think that this is a movie and I had, I might've heard stories about this maybe when I was, when I was a little older, maybe when I was in high school, but, um, I feel like this is a movie that maybe even 13 year olds should watch. I feel like everybody needs to, every American needs to watch this movie. Um, and, and at an age, at a, like, actually sit down and watch it. Because I think that this is a movie that has a really, really um, specific agenda mm-hmm. in, in humanizing every single life that was a part of this endeavor. Yep. That's how I feel about it anyway. And, you know, the way that especially with the with the crop of um, war movies that I've been watching lately, the thing that stands out the most is the way that we treat our veterans. Mm. The way that we, what we ask of them and what how we treat them when they come back mm. is, it doesn't matter if it's the best years of our lives from 1947, I want to mm. say, um, where, you know, um, Homer has that conversation in the in the malt shop yeah. with the guy who you know is like, oh, you really got you. We really got sold a false bill of goods over mm-hmm. there, and you know, and and him telling him, the the man in the malt shop telling Homer, 
in best years of our lives, you know, well, look at the facts. I know the real facts. I know the real facts about the war. And Homer being like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't have hands because of this. And you're going to tell me right. from, from there to good morning, Vietnam mm-hmm. to, to, you know, it's just like, this is still a problem. This yeah. is still a thing that is going on. And, and it is, you know, um, I don't want to like alienate, uh, any any listeners, but from a purely what did I take away from Saving Private Ryan perspective, the idea that right now when we are recording this, Donald Trump, who is the president of our country, wants to throw himself a military parade. Like, like I don't care. I don't care your political affiliation. I don't care. You know, I I'm not interested in. Oh well, Obama and or this or. <laughs> I that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that our VA is in shambles. Mm-hmm. These men and women gave everything that they had, and we do not treat them right when they come back. Uh, and he wants to spend millions of dollars on a military parade that, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't say is for him, but it kind of feels like, yeah, uh, is of course for him. it is. I mean, yeah, no, not, not to go down like a, a, a ridiculous modern political rant, but like it's, it's one of the takeaways from this movie and a lot of these movies is that we'll never understand because we weren't there. Yes. And and it's impossible to. And what Spielberg wanted to do was to get as close to it as he possibly could. And there are stories about veterans who went to the premiere and who walked out during that opening 20 minutes. And when he went out to talk to them, they weren't mad. They were just, you. they told him that you brought me back. That is what it was like. The sound design, everything yeah. about it. Like you captured it in a way that nobody else has ever been able to. And it's still not the real thing. Right. And so for us, like you said, this is an educational movie because at least it would give people an idea of what it's like going through that. So for anybody to pretend to be on that level or be on their level or to to want to have a parade for it for all of the wrong reasons and, and not actually help them in the way that they need to be helped. It's just so twisted yeah. and, and, and heartbreaking given what that they went through. Well, uh, and additionally, you know, the idea of, I think a movie like this um, really makes you consider why do we fight? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What is worth um, giving your life, giving your leg, giving your arm, giving your husband, your wife, your kids, your, your emotional and psychological state for the rest of the rest of it. That's it. It's never going to leave you. If you survive, you're, you're in for an entire lifetime of that having to live with everything. Yeah. And that, 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 that is unfathomable to me because I, I didn't live that. Right. Well, and so, but so asking that question of why do we do this? Mm -hmm. Why do we go to war? Um, You know, in World War II, we went to war. Um, Well, the U.S., you know, correct me if I'm wrong, historian, (laughs) but but the U.S. entered later than than a lot of the other allied forces. Mm -hmm. And um, Hitler was taking over a lot of Europe. Yeah. And um, so, in, and it was very, you know, America first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in that, that five came back. There's a great clip of Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, this is why we do America first and like all this stuff, which is very loaded now. But the point that I'm making is that the reason we went um, 
the, you know, the Nazi ideology could not spread anymore. We could not let it spread anymore. Um, and, uh, and so the idea that right now in the United States of America, less than a year ago, neo-Nazis killed a woman in the street and people have forgotten about it. You know, when I was watching this movie, Saving Private Ryan, I, I couldn't help but think these guys died for this so that that wouldn't happen. Anymore. That wouldn't happen. Yep. Nope. And I can't, I can't as a, the movie is turning 20 and the conflict, you know, is, um, several more decades long in the past, but, but it, it just, um, was really extra upsetting yeah. watching for the first time last night. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, the, the, I don't want to say the good part about it, but the fact that it resonates in, it still resonates in the ideological sense. Like, yes, in the war sense, absolutely. I mean, God forbid we can't ever have a war like this again because you know, the, the, the planet would not exist in a way that it does anymore if we did. But the fact that it took all of these men and all of these people, the hundreds of thousands to, to rise up, to stop an ideology mm-hmm. from, from affecting and, and murdering and, and, and sub- subjugating human beings. And the fact that that actually resonates today is, is horrifying, but also like, at least it's something we can point to and, 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 and rally around in some way. At least that's the hope at this point that people... And, and it does seem to be at least some who are like, you know, waving their hands and going, hello, like we've been through this. We lived through this. Like, can we stop him? Because we had to do this with Hitler. And, and you know, look at look at this guy who's doing essentially the same thing in, in just these unspeakable ways. So yeah. it, it's scary that it still resonates, I guess, is the point. But yeah. Yeah. It is really <laughs> scary. It's really scary. And um <laughs> You know, I hope that, um, I hope that they, whoever, uh, this is a Paramount movie, I think. Universal and DreamWorks. Oh, okay. I don't know where I got Paramount from. Um, But I hope that whatever studio uh, owns the distribution rights to this movie, (laughs) I hope they do a big 20th anniversary party. Yeah. Um, I hope that, I hope that we start talking about it again. I hope that the movie plays on TV. I hope that people... You know, because it's, it's, this is the thing when you become, I feel like Saving Private Ryan is like a thing that everybody knows, even if they don't know it. Like me, I had never seen the movie Mm -hmm. and I could tell you that Matt Damon was Private Ryan (laughs) and I could have told you the cast and I could have told you about, um, the opening sequence, you Mm -hmm. know? So I, I hope that people sort of revisit, uh, and re, re experience it, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, on its 20th birthday. Because uh, if ever we needed it, mm. I guess now's a good time. It's very true. Yeah. Um, so so when it comes to so when it comes to this movie, what were your reactions when you saw it for the first time? Having um, you know, meaning like, did you see it in the theaters? Did is this one that your dad you know took you to to continue the tradition? Like, what what was that experience like? Yeah, I definitely saw it in the theater, and um, what struck me then is still the thing that I say now about it. And and this is not an original observation. It's been made by plenty of people, but 
it's a movie that changed the game in terms of war films. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, World War II films, because all the early films were, for lack of a better word, propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the later films were much more uh, rah-rah, heroic, um, gung-ho, almost adventure movies. Um, right, right. Th- that did hit on the cost of the war, but not in a way that would for lack of a better phrase, bum the audience out. Yep. Um, Very little blood, much more focus on the heroism and everything else. And then you had like the adventure ones, like The Great Escape or or The Dirty Dozen. Like um, there's death in those movies, but but it's still never really sunk into the meaning of it and and what it cost and anything like that um and then there was just a lull there were no world war ii mm-hmm. movies pretty much after like Patton, mm-hmm. vietnam war films right. were the rage right. um apocalypse now platoon um these films were getting to the heart of what it means to be a war to survive war to be in battle and, and ptsd and all of that stuff and then you finally get, 30 years later, Spielberg and Tom Hanks who are like, well, that happened with World War One, vet- World War II veterans too, and they wanted to shine a light in that way. Um, so that's when you get the first 20 minutes of this film. And that's what sticks with everybody who sees it the first time, and certainly with me the first time, was that this is what it was really like. And this was bloody people were holding their guts and calling for their mothers and the sound and the cacophony and nobody can find their company because nobody's landed where they were supposed to land and the bombardment from the allies prior to the landing didn't go the way it was supposed to go and so all the german guns are still working and Mm -hmm. shooting at them and and people are dying before the higgins boats can even empty out like it was absolute pure chaos and hell and we finally got that sense. And then that makes people go, oh, we've been sort of glorifying World War II all this time. We've been sort of talking about the, the highbrow version of it, the, the, the heroic version of it. And it's, that's a part of it, but it was also absolute chaos. It was absolute hell. And it absolutely cost not just people in lives, but all the veterans that have survived who haven't really been talking about it. That's Mm -hmm. the other thing that marks World War II veterans is for a good 50 years, they just, uh, you know, anybody who has a grandfather or great-grandfather who fought probably didn't hear him talk very much about Mm -hmm. it. PTSD wasn't labeled. They they just, that's a thing I did, and I've moved on with my life, and I'm doing the best I can. This movie actually got a lot of veterans to to come out and talk about it more, and it led to other things like Band of Brothers, which Mm -hmm. was the miniseries they did. But then the really crazy thing about Saving Private Ryan was that, but then it pivots. Then it, then it does the more typical war movie thing, which is hone in on this group of guys and, and show, get to know them in this really interesting way. Um, this whole mystery of Captain Miller mm-hmm. and who he is and what he's done is played out through the whole thing. And, then you, and so now you're, we got this big look at what it was like. Um, on the beach. And then you have this small look at a group of people and what it cost them. Mm -hmm. So now you have the personal side of it too. So basically this movie got to have its cake and eat it too. It had it both ways and in a way that worked. And I think that surprised a lot of people opened up the doors for war films going forward in terms of being a lot more 
in your face, a lot more honest Mm -hmm. about the chaos and the hellishness of it. And then you get, you know, films like uh, Hacksaw Ridge, which just came out um, two years ago. Like it opened the door for those films to be made, but, um, but still kept it about the core idea of ordinary men doing extraordinary things and how that affected them moving on. And then that's the story of Ryan, you know, the, the bookend of the movie, but the movie itself is more about the story. It's, it's more about like Captain Miller yeah. and, 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 you know, finding out slowly what he had been doing before the war and how this is affecting him and how making decisions is so difficult. He's making life and death decisions every minute of every day and, and how you deal with that. And he's like, he doesn't know how he's going to live with that when he goes home. So there's that gut wrenching personal, this is the everyman actor, Tom Hanks playing the right. everyman soldier. Yeah. And, and, and you, and you get that, that gut, like, you know, how, how did they do it? Like, that's the thing. I, I don't know, but the movie gets at least close to trying to, to answer that in, in, in an emotional way. Well, I really like how they they give you the opportunity, you know, when they do pivot and get into the more of the character stuff. Mm-hmm. It's I like how they show you these these eight or so guys in the midst of tens of thousands mm-hmm. of guys yeah. because you really at least for me, it, I really got the impression that they wanted you to realize that every single person there could have had a story just like yes. this. Mm-hmm. And and every single and, and every regular guy who came in and fought um you know on these on these grounds um you could pull any of them and tell a magnificent story. Yeah. Or and and I also liked how I didn't like it, but the movie makes a choice to kill most of the characters. Right. And and it doesn't do it in a way where you're where it's like building to this mm-hmm. one moment right. and then Tom Hanks gets shot and dies. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's it's this is a this is one moment in the course of thousands of moments. Yep. And I think that that's really important because it reminds the audience that um you know it 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 makes you feel that weight. Mm-hmm. In in more than just oh well, I really care about Cap- I really care about Miller and so mm-hmm. um, when he dies I'm sad right and it's like well no actually mm-hmm. you really feel this way about all of them yeah um, and um, and it, it, you know it's interesting when you were talking about the war movie mm-hmm. and the adventure movie mm-hmm. and the the you know the glamour it, uh, some some of these movies do glamorize war yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I liked War for the Planet of the Apes so much was because um, it was a different kind of war movie. Yes, it sure. wanted you to spend time with the prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. It wanted you to be in those camps, in those bases, right. and experience the less sexy part. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that Carnage is sexy, but the way that we are very capable of glamorizing violence oh, yeah. and glamorizing the sacrifice, right? <laughs> right. Um, because by the way, it is a sacrifice and it is honorable and it mm-hmm. is meaningful and I'm right. not taking away from no, that. No, absolutely not. Those movies had their place and they were important and they're enjoyable and they're, you know, they're of their time. Right. But it it, it took Steven Spielberg to sort of flip the script on it a little bit yes. and, and show 
that there are other layers to what it means to be in war. And I think that that's part of the reason why a lot of people um, didn't maybe didn't love War for the Planet of the Apes as much as maybe they had liked the previous two mm -hmm. installments, um, because this is the not fun part. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Hanging out with the prisoners mm -hmm. and experiencing the inner workings of real ragtime war mm -hmm. is not fun. No. And and I really applaud, like I noticed this then and it put it into more context for me now. Mm -hmm. I really applaud what Matt Reeves did with that movie um, for showing a different side mm -hmm. of war, especially when... Um, something like Dunkirk had come out in the same summer, mm -hmm. which shows, you know, which is, I would probably, you know, puts you into the more, um, the battle kind of part of it. Sure. So, um, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so, um, you know, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned it, you mentioned it at the top, and I think it's worth sort of discussing, um, the Tom Hanks of it all. Mm -hmm. So now I will be honest with you. I didn't really find myself compelled by Tom Hanks because he was Tom Hanks in this movie. I would, this is one of those things, don't have a time machine. But um, do you think you would have felt that way if you had seen it in 1998? Because I, we've had 20 years of more Tom Hanks being Tom Hanks since then. I mean, he was pretty big. He was Tom Hanks. He'd already had Philadelphia and he'd already had Forrest Gump under his belt, not to mention big and, and a handful of other things at that point. But I think he was a little more, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say palatable, but not quite what I mean in terms of accepting him playing that role without sitting back and going, oh, I'm just watching Tom Hanks. Well, he had grown, I feel like he had grown up a lot in those four years. Yeah, that, those are peak years. You know, I mean, <laughs> like the idea, and, and I think that, you know, and he has spoken about this, Tom Hanks has said publicly, the idea of in a movie like Philadelphia, um, Tom Hanks America's sweetheart, mm -hmm. and he knew this. He he has said these words, "Little Tommy Hanks." I'll never I'll never forget watching an interview where he said that. "Little mm -hmm. Tommy Hanks has AIDS." Like, what does that say? Right. And um and I think that that's really like that is the place where I think America probably went. Whoa, you know, <laughs> this is our this is America's sweetheart, and right. like I don't I'm not used to him in this way. Um. I, I guess it could be my age. It could be, it could be how I know him. It could be coming into it later, but I just felt like he disappeared more into this movie than I've seen him disappear even since mm -hmm. like bridge of spies. To me, I was like, this is Tom Hanks yeah. doing an accent or mm -hmm. whatever it yeah. was. You know what I mean? It didn't, yeah. it, but this one, and maybe it is because Miller um, is a school teacher mm. and, and is this, you know, salt of the earth guy. And that's who Tom Hanks feels like to us. Sure. But, but I found it easier for me to accept him. Like I always knew it was Tom Hanks, of course. Sure. But like, you know what I mean? It, it was easier for me to escape oh, in that. Okay. See, I, I actually thought you said the exact opposite. I thought you said you couldn't that it, it was hard for you to get into the character because all you were seeing was no. Tom Hanks. You're saying the opposite. The opposite. Which is, okay, yes. I completely agree. Like, to me, this is, um, like, and I remember at the time, and I still feel that way, that, like, that, that, that there's that everyman quality to him, and he's even said that, like, he really relished the role because he knew he was an English teacher, and mm -hmm. he knew what his backstory was, but we don't learn all of that until well into the second right. act. So um, he, he's like, I actually kind of got to play something of a man of mystery in this film. But 
you know, just because you don't know exactly what he's done in the past, you still can tell the type of person that he is. And the, like you said, that salt of the earth, that every man quality to him is that's that the point is that's who these soldiers were. And so for us to focus in on him, like he was the perfect person for Mm -hmm. that because you needed that quality and you needed that to empathize with him when he finally breaks down and has that whole speech about not knowing how he's ever going to go back and and tell if he, if he survives, how's he ever going to go back and tell his wife what this was like? Mm -hmm. And that is encapsulating the question for all of these men and, and, and who better to encapsulate that than Tom Hanks. Yeah, you know, it's funny too because that that scene reminded me of in uh, Best Years of Our Lives um, when uh, the uh, it's Al, the mm-hmm. dad, uh, goes home and um, asks his wife if she smokes. Mm-hmm. He offers her a cigarette and, and she goes, don't you remember I don't smoke? And, and he's like, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and, and it just... I would say that if you haven't, you know, do a double feature, like watch, watch Saving Private Ryan and Mm -hmm. then rent on iTunes. It was Mm $2.99, the best years of our lives, because it's, it's picture those guys going home, you know, picture Private Ryan Mm -hmm. going home. Um, And, and so we're filling in the blanks from him in the war. And then when he's at the, uh, the you know, yeah, exactly. At the cemetery. Do you, um. One thing that I thought that I really liked uh, that stood out to me, because I was thinking about it actually as I was walking Rufus this morning, <laughs> when he um, tells Ryan, earn it. Mm. And and I remember, you know, at the time, well, I was watching it last night and I was like, okay, yeah. And then I was walking the dog this morning and I was like, man, no pressure or anything. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, you know, he's, and, and so I just was curious if, if, from your perspective, given your historical knowledge and background, but also from a cinematic perspective, did that, is that mentality, have you ever heard anything like that before? Like the guys, like, like them kind of putting, that's a whole lot of weight to put on somebody. It really is. And it, and it's such an interesting, I think, thing for Miller to say at the end, because we've been tracking him the whole time and he is constantly talking about, weighing, you know, you know, he has the quote in the church where he talks about one of my guys dies, but I have to believe that that's saving two, three, maybe even 10 others. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly as a captain, as a man in, in, in a position to make important decisions, life and death decisions, he has to weigh that. And, and, and then you have all of the, the bickering amongst the company with Rybin and, and, and everybody being like, this is not worth it. This one guy is not worth it. I don't care about this whole thing with his three brothers right. dying and everything. This is, that's not the point. And, and, but you have other people um, coming in out of the story who are saying, no, I get that. You know, that's an important aspect of this. And like, you know, uh, I have brothers. So, mm-hmm. you know, so you're constantly weighing all of this stuff and you're never quite sure where Miller comes down mm-hmm. on it. And then for him and with his last dying breath to say, earn it, you realize that he was probably questioning it the whole way too. And that for him to, to come back to what he'd said earlier about, you know, for every one person that's dead, 10 others are alive. Ryan now being one of those ones that's going to be alive. Well, it's not just about being alive at the end of this. It's making your life 
worth it. Mm-hmm. The worth the death of those that that came before you, and and that makes sense in terms of his arc, in terms of the emotion, in terms of the character, and and even just on a macro level. But like you said, it's also something for Ryan to then have to live with. Yeah. And and to and to, you know earn, I guess, you know, to take the word. So that makes, because Ryan is not a fleshed out character, Mm -hmm. deliberately so. Um, We don't meet him until the very end. Um, In fact, there's just a tidbit about behind the scenes. The guys all went through like a five-day boot camp to sort of learn a little bit how that was. Matt Damon was deliberately kept away from that so that that they wanted a kind of a real quality to their resentment of this character that they have to go rescue and and put their lives on the line for. So to have this character that is a a thing, an objective, not a person, to then have this be told to him and then to have the final lines in the movie, in the cemetery, is... Is it, it just fits for me in in the sense of, of of the cost and the stakes and what was it all for for all of those big questions? Yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's um it's a really loaded idea mm-hmm. um, because y- I, I you really do understand the bigger cause of stopping Hitler, right? right. You get that, mm-hmm. and and you get why that is worth laying your life down, mm-hmm. but. You're like when it comes to okay, well, we got to go get this one guy, and mm-hmm. we're probably gonna die doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's and and that question, asking that question of why, and especially because the team knows why. Right. This is something that's fascinating to me: the optics. So the reason for this mission in the first place is they say, well, we can't tell this mother that she's lost all of her kids. So let's go save the last one if he's still alive and let's go send him home. What a fucked up (laughs) notion. Like, And I really, really, really like how, you know, Spielberg specifically and all of the, the, the weight behind this movie is honoring these people, absolutely, Mm -hmm. but at the same time is holding the military responsible. Like, Mm -hmm. that is an optical decision. That is, and that is, that is such a, like, you know, and, and talk about having your cake and eating it too. I mean, in a way, you get to criticize the the military or the top brass, uh-huh. but honor the guys at the bottom. Right. And in a way, that's the same conversation we are having to this day, right? <laughs> it's really easy for us to criticize the politicians mm-hmm. because they are cared, or the, the deciders, the people mm-hmm. who send the, yep. the boy, men and women off to war, um, because their concern, it feels like sometimes, is, is optics. Yeah. And that's a really cool layer that this movie has to it. Yeah, and, and it's this whole idea, too, based on that. Um, so the, the Lincoln letter mm-hmm. and the Sullivan brothers, there were five Sullivan brothers in the Civil War, and this is true, all died. Um, oh, oh, excuse me, I, I take that back. The, the, there's the Lincoln letter with the brothers in that, and then during World War II, there were the Sullivan brothers. There was five of them. And they were all stationed on the same ship that was sunk, and they all died at the same time. Mm. And then that, 
that, like you said, optics, this isn't good for the, for the propaganda and for, for, for encouraging families full of brothers to sign up and all of this stuff. So they made a rule that said that brothers can no longer be stationed together. Mm. And so that's why the, um, the, in this case, Ryan brothers in the movie, they were the Nyland brothers, the Neeland brothers. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it in real life. They were, you know, um, set out separately and yet three of them, died within a week of each other. Although, fun fact, the Neelan brothers, one of them actually didn't die. They, oh. he was, they thought he was missing in action and then found in a camp. Oh, wow. So that two of those brothers actually did survive the war. But the, the idea of, like, this, this thing happened, five died. Okay, we're changing the rules. Oh, and then there's this other family where three died, and it still didn't work. And it's, now it's like there's this... There's this um, it's not about emotion. It's not about, you know, doing the right or wrong thing. It's about how does this look, like you said, with the optics. And and what I like about the movie is that some people think that, like there's the um, the, the Dale Dye character in the room when Marshall's making that decision saying, you're, you're, you're not wasting resources mm-hmm. on this. You're not going to kill other men for this one when we don't even know if he's alive because he was part of the paratroopers who just got dumped all over the place on uh, the night before D-Day. So... There's so many reasons. If you're like putting a pro and a con column mm-hmm. here, there are so many cons to it. But there are enough characters in the movie, and it's said a couple of times that Ted Danson's character mm-hmm. says to Miller, you know, like, I totally get this. I like he's like, I wish I could keep you to help me fight in, in uh Newville, but um, but I have brothers and I have a mother and I understand this. So you can see both sides. Mm-hmm. And I like that it was um it was, it's messy. It's, yeah. there, there's not a right and wrong answer. There's not a black and white here. There never is in war or very rarely is in war. So I liked that Spielberg sort of let that all out on the table and then let the viewer decide, yeah. you know, where they come down on that decision making. And I think it's important for people to, especially like, you know, we, that this is how the society works. You know, the way the society works is, some people serve in the military. Some people do a different role in to make the country function. And when we as a nation decide to go to war, it needs to be a really, really important decision, yep. you know, because and 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 it is messy. And I and and actually, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, the idea of involving the country, the nation, the people of the country um, in what this means and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's hard to withstand criticism because Mm -hmm. yes, there were people who didn't care about what was going on in Europe. There were people who were anti-Semites and said, Mm -hmm. fine, go ahead, Hitler. I'm not, you know. There's an ocean in between us. It won't affect us. That's exactly right. Yes. So like, there, those are important conversations to be had. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, I, I just, I've been thinking about it a lot and I feel like we as people need to be treated like a little more adult and having these hard conversations as a nation. And not be black and white about it, not stand on one corner or the other with our arms crossed and refuse to budge, even if there is a logical argument to be made for one side or the other. Like there's no, nobody has any room for gray area right now. And it's scary. (laughs) Well, and at the end of the day, that's why there's a commander in chief. Mm -hmm. You know, in theory, you, you want somebody who, uh, is, is fulfilling that role and, and weighing 
the weight, feeling mm-hmm. the weight mm-hmm. of these decisions. And sometimes you have to make those decisions mm-hmm. and and it doesn't go well. And, and that person and the nation have to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And that shit is hard. Yeah. Um, and I say this as somebody who is not in the military. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was in the military, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but I, and a Jew, um, you know, and, but I'm not in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but, but I wish, I wish we could have some, some of these harder conversations. Um, but I know that that takes, uh, that takes people willing to listen. That's exactly right. People willing <laughs> to have the conversation mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. Um, so before we get to the part where you, where, where I ask you, if you want to add a mm-hmm. movie, um, I wanted to bring up one more thing and that was the character of, um, Upham. Okay. Uh, because he felt to me like the audience, at first, absolutely, yeah. um, and and I think you need that. I mean, I think yes. that that's always important in in film and storytelling, um, uh, and and you know also for for the for the little bits of comic relief mm-hmm. that that brought along the way, but that felt honest and like the guys ribbing him and like what foobar means and like in in the various uh, almost like pratfall kind yeah. of. Thing. He was a very physical actor in it, but yeah, there's. This this wide eyed quality to somebody who's never been in war before, who was clearly brought up onto the beach after the D Day fighting was over, and who is now being thrown, you know, into the deep end with this squad who have, I mean, uh, Tom Sizemore's character, Sergeant Horvath, and Captain Miller have been together on multiple campaigns. They they keep referencing Italy, mm-hmm. so they've been together for a long time, and I think several of the other men have been with them for a while too. So you have the odd man out who is a slightly comedic character, who's this wide-eyed character who has, you know, no idea what he's getting himself into, just like we don't, and then into and to go down this rabbit hole and into watch all of these, you know, men die in these circumstantial you know, circumstances yeah. <laughs> um, in, in ways that you are expected and not expected and, and, and logical and illogical. And just because it's war and to watch him take all that in and to watch, like literally watch like the naivete drain out of him is, is it's heartbreaking, but it's so relatable. And like it, it the hardest scene in the whole movie to me is, is when Mellish dies via the knife and Upham is sitting out on the yeah. on, on the stairs just just crippled yeah. with fear crippled and 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 then not even you know 15 minutes later for him to realize that the german prisoner the nicknamed steamboat willie that he convinced miller to let go during the ambush in which wade died is in fact the man who kills miller yeah. it's just it it's it's a movie, so there's so there's that there's this sort of like oh are you kidding me? But it's war, so are you kidding me? Happened all the exactly. time, exactly. And and for him to be the one to witness it, and for them for then the culmination of his character to be to kill him, yeah. is is that's a hell of a journey. Yeah. And Jeremy Davies is just sells it so perfectly that um that I I I love that character. It's a great character. Yeah. It's such a great character mm-hmm. and he really stood out to me. Him and in Tom Sizemore. Mm. Um this this might sound a bit salacious to bring up, but just as a side note, I watched Tom Sizemore was on um, a reality TV show called Celebrity Rehab, mm-hmm. and um, his struggles with substance abuse have been very well documented. Yeah. Um, and something that he had talked about was the way that his career had been had suffered as a result of his sure. addiction, and um, I felt I understood it 
when I watched this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like I I yeah. I had known who he was. Sure. I had known he was an actor. I had known he had whatever. Um but when I watched this movie, he is so good. Yes. And yeah. his his chemistry with Hanks. Oh, perfect, right? Like they to me truly felt like two guys who met in service and and have been kind of they've survived the longest. Right. You yep. know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so they like they have a dynamic going. They've become that 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 what they say that that um, platoon mates and, and, and men who fight side by side in those circumstances and survive again and again become brothers. Yes. Like that's they epitomize that. And they and they were such good teammates in terms of their what the each one was good at yep. mm-hmm. um and and the loyalty mm-hmm. um and uh I, Tom size you know so anyway but it just that's a that's a real life thing that mm-hmm. kind of hit home for me sure um when I watched this one uh but he is exceptional in this movie Tom Sizemore is great yeah it, it's it's a testament to the film and into the writing into Spielberg into the actors that they found a group of guys that you know, they were um, fulfilling roles. They, yeah. there's, there's the New York guy. There's the Southern guy. There's the new guy. There's the sniper. There's the religious. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're fitting into molds that needed to be fit into, but they each made it their own. And their chemistry as a squad was so great. And they're back and forth. And and as, as phenomenal as the filmmaking of the battle scenes are, it's a lot of the smaller character moments yes. that that sell this this band of brotherhood and and make it so that when these random circumstances happen with like the little girl or when they 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 decide to go after the the sniper nest and lose wade because of it or when they're looking through the dog tags and i love that they're not all angels yeah i mean ribin's a jerk yeah i mean and and when they're going through the dog tags and Wade's like, what are you guys doing? Like, like you're disrespecting yeah. the dead by, by laughing and going through these dog tags and hoping that a man's name is in there. Like there's a no holds barred quality to the way Spielberg just like put it all out there yeah. that these are just regular guys trying to survive and make sense of the chaos and hell that's around them. And how do you maintain humanity in this circumstance? Well, Sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say, and and all the actors stepped up to to be able to do that in their different ways. So on that on that topic, uh, I was (laughs) for many reasons. But when I was watching this movie last night, I was filled with anxiety Um, as an audience member, as somebody who lives in 2018 and we're having Nazi conversations again, as a person who is feeling Spielberg's great, um, you know, direction, but also as an actor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was sick to my stomach for this entire cast because and it was so brilliant. It was so brilliant finding all these young guys who had maybe done a thing or here or there or whatever and saying, hey, guys, (laughs) you are going to be in one of the most realistic war movies ever made. Steven Spielberg is directing it. Don't fuck it up. Like (laughs) the, I mean, you, I was sincerely sick watching this for them because I thought to myself, you know, the, and that's the question, like, and uh, God, I am no way comparing acting to serving in the military. But what I am saying is 
the do or die moments sure. of your career or mm-hmm. your life's ambition mm-hmm. or your um, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, if you if you are a performer, I have to imagine, short of Schindler's List, don't fuck this one up. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, but it worked for the it mm-hmm. worked for the performances so well, yep. and it was oh, it, it makes me nervous just because <laughs> you just know like the audition process and yeah. and like you said, you know, the going through boot camp and okay, Matt Damon, you're not invited, and it's like <laughs> oh my god, I can't. Yep. It's just um. It, it added a layer for sure. Yeah. And everybody was perfectly cast, of course, but mm-hmm. like, oh my God, could mm-hmm. you even imagine? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, could thanks. you imagine doing post production on, on Steven Spielberg's <laughs> life's like journey? The elevated heart rate the entire time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like, just, just like, I would turn into Tweak from South Park, just being like, ah, <laughs> I don't know what to do, right? This is, this is too much. I, I think I'm ready, but that's the thing too, because even if you're the most confident person in the world, that, that's the World Series. That's, yep. that's that you don't get any more intense than that. I yeah. always think about that when I watch specific Spielberg movies. Mm. These that that carry so much weight, yeah. and 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 even the more recent ones because he has he always has characters that have one line maybe mm-hmm. two but they're they're perfectly cast yeah. they look like they've stepped out of time mm-hmm. and you think about God, could you imagine being that actor? Right. Like I think about that all the time. <laughs> the the lady in the post that has two lines, and it's just and and in the background of the scene, like in the newsroom, having to listen to Tom Hanks be like, "All right, so here are the assignments," and it's like there's twelve people, and you maybe get a line if you're lucky, but you have to be in the scene. Right. And like, could you imagine being the one person where he's like, "What the hell is she doing? Can we? <laughs> can you please fit? Like you are on your game <laughs> all the time." I don't know. That's a very superficial actor rant but Mm -hmm. it it really like I felt it last night when I was watching (laughs) okay anyway uh moving on um so everybody gets to add a movie that's not on the list that Mm -hmm. they would add to the list and actually I'm gonna be completely honest with you I didn't even look up what (laughs) oh uh, I Saving Private Ryan was on the the new, the updated yes, list. Yes, that's right. Um, was So it wasn't on the original Because Close Encounters got boost, boot, yeah. booted. I, I, I mean, there were several booted and several new, I think, on the 10-year-later the list. But it was, it was number 71 on the updated mm-hmm, top 10 list. Uh-huh. And then it was number 10 on the inspiring movies yeah, list. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for doing my homework for me. <laughs> I, I would have looked it up eventually. But also, it's just one of those where you're like, eh, it's probably on every list. And um, No, I uh, Scott Mance did Close Encounters of the of Third Kind. And um <laughs> and we talked about we talked about the ranking and I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly. The, oh one Spielberg that it, got knocked it, off, yes, one got added. That's okay. right. And yep. and mm-hmm. this was the one that, mm-hmm. that got added in its yep. place. Okay, so uh what what would you where what do you got? So it was funny, um what I what I discovered when I was sort of like so like I made a list of like or just like quickly scratched out like you know twenty films that are some of my favorite movies or not even maybe favorite I think I was going for um, important mm-hmm. like like a, a, inspired me in some way or, or I saw at a certain point in my life that that was important to me so um, and I think the reason I actually came across about four or five 
all the came out within a few years of each other. And I think the reason why a lot of them aren't on the list is because, so was the original list 97? So this doesn't make any sense, but let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. So I'm pretty sure the way it works is the original list was released in 1998. Okay. And then the 10-year list mm -hmm. came out in, in 2007. Oh, okay. That doesn't make any sense. No, because that's nine the, years, not ten. That's exactly <laughs> that's not how math works. Mm -hmm. But I, if the more I think about it, and I'm sure there's a way to look this up, but come on, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm if I had to guess, the list was probably established in 1997 um, by AFI, sure. and they then just... They like that special... Exactly. Or whatever, the, the, and aired in 98. Right, 98, like and, okay. or they maybe announced it mm -hmm. and made a big deal of, of, okay. out of it in 1998, so maybe sure. that's why it's 2007. Gotcha. That's my best guess, but yeah. But what I discovered from the list was that there seemed to be a lot of movies that I was seeing in the late 90s, <laughs> early aughts, um, that were hugely influential because I was in film school at that point. I was really, this was my eye opening watching movies as film to see all the various things that they could be and, and watching in terms of filmmaking, um, that couldn't make the first list cause they were just coming out then. I mean, not unlike saving private Ryan, which mm -hmm. was 98. And then they didn't want to change the list too much 10 years later and just overload it with all right. of the, these current movies. So it was like, I was looking and I'm like, out of Sight is not mm. on any of the lists. Almost Famous is not on any of the lists. Royal Tenenbaums is not on any of the lists. Good Will Hunting is not on... I'm thinking, mm. I'm like, and these were movies that were so influential to me at this time in my life. And I was like, what is going on here? And then the kicker, the one that I'm going to add to a list, was one that I absolutely adored. And it's because it's uh, something of a throwback film, um, is uh, 1997's L.A. Confidential. Ah. Which is one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Um, it's Curtis Hansen, and, it, and it, it's a throwback to the noir um, and, and everything else. But this was the movie that introduced me to Russell Crowe. Um, this has a heck of a cast. It was so stylistic and interesting, and it was a modernized take on the noir. Um, and I just, from a filmmaking perspective, like every time that that's on, like I'm, I'm, I'm in, like, does not matter where in what part, if I flip the channel and it's like halfway through already, if there's only 10 minutes left, I don't care. I'm like watching it. There's just something so, um, beautiful about it and in the, in the filmmaking part of it that I just think that that's, um, kind of a perfect example of, of a film being good on every level, on the, the writing level, the dialogue level, the acting level, the filmmaking level, the music, um, everything about it. So, but yeah, it was like, like what, what's with the miss, all of these movies missing from that era, like haven't made any of the lists and That's, they were so huge to me and my, uh, as a 20 year old. Uh, yeah. I feel like LA Confidential is probably the most that's that that I've heard so far mm -hmm. of the additions. Oh, yeah. Probably the most AFI on brand <laughs> glaring omission. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Like, I mean that that's a very observe. That's a great observation. And you're right. I'm kind of like now that you say it, I'm kind of because you know, like when people add movies to the list, it's like, oh, it's it's the Iron Giant, mm -hmm. or it's you know, like this, or it's or it's for the quotes list or whatever. Yeah. But L.A. Confidential 
That's a good one. That's a good one, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you. I um, I do feel like that would be something that, because it is one of those new classics. Yeah. You know? I think maybe in, if they did it again in, in, I mean, the 10 years is about up. I don't know if they're going to update again or if they do it again down the line. I mean, it's harder because the more years that go by, the more movies that come out. And if you're sticking to 100, like picking only 100 is, is difficult. And like any modern movie, like, you know, I, I think that a couple of movies that have come out in the last couple of years will become film classics, yeah. but like, we can't know that yet, right? you know, kind of thing. But um, 97 was 20 years ago, and I think LA Confidential still holds up uh, brilliantly. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, is, it makes my list anyway. Yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> that's a great one. That's a great one. And you're right, the acting is so good, mm-hmm. and... And it's so stylized. Um, there, I, just out of my own curiosity, and this is not the same thing, but um, where do you stand on Usual Suspects? Um, I love it. Okay. Uh, I think that I remember the first time I saw it and remember going, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Like, you got me. Good job. Amazing. And, and, and I've liked it since, um, but I, I'm not going to sit here and... and, and, and you know, say that this is one of the best movies ever made. It's not in my top 25. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a great movie, but not, um, I guess, top list material for me. Yeah, I think the reason that I sort of conflate the two in my mm-hmm. mind, um, or, or I guess group them together, mm-hmm. is because they were so sensational, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, um, they're not the same type of movie, but they are... They are shades of the same type of movie. I think th- you, you said it best. Like they're bo- both very stylized yes. and, and very, you know, um, specific to to their uh, to their directors and into establishing a very specific look and feel and slickness and you know the 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 rapid fire, yeah. the dialogue. And yes. I know some of it is throwback, but some of it is also just you know those directors and those actors and, and that writing style was. I, I mean, I, I could see uh, uh, considering them in, in sort of the same pool of movies. But I would say that, you know, I would say that L.A. Conf- for Personally, I don't think uh, Usual Suspects holds up, mm-hmm. not just because you know the ending, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I think that there, there are shades of really cool stuff. Like Christopher McQuarrie mm-hmm. has such a cool screenwriting style. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I love that. And, and the performances in, in uh, Usual Suspects are great. Like sure, everybody absolutely. is, everybody is giving a great performance. Um, but for me, I never really liked that movie. I okay. never really got the hype, mm-hmm. and I I tried to watch it again. Um, I'm such a big fan of Kevin Pollock. I love Kevin yeah, Pollock. Okay. Um, I love him as an actor, and and I listen to his podcast. And oh yeah, the he, yeah, and he talks about he talks about LA Com- or I'm sorry, he talks about Usual Suspects quite a bit. And so uh, I was like, you know what, I need to I need to revisit. rewatch that. <laughs> yeah, I need to revisit it. And so I did, and. And uh, I was pretty bored. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like to me, it just didn't, again, outside of Kevin's performance or Benicio's Mm -hmm. performance, like these great. You're drawn into the characters. Maybe the the overarching storyline or the story progression isn't as interesting outside of who is verbal kin. Right. And if you know that in advance, then there's a little bit like, hmm, okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But uh, but yeah, so I think that's why, but I do think, 
conversely, that I do think LA Confidential, I rewatched LA Confidential um, a couple of years ago. There was an outdoor screening here in LA, which oh, was nice. really fun. Uh, and uh, But I remember being like, huh, this is a really good one. Like yeah. I, you know, because again, that was one that came out at a time where I feel like, uh, well, I was younger than mm-hmm. probably the target. I was younger <laughs> than the target audience. But at the same time, I remember like some of my guy friends in high school, my nerdy film friends, mm-hmm. like loving LA Confidential. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and but when I did rewatch it as an adult a couple of years back, living in LA, I was kind of like, yeah, this is a real fun one. Yeah, this is a good one. And it gets a little overshadowed because it was '97, which is Titanic and Goodwill Hunting yes. and Full Monty. So like, you do have other ones that have have you know are, are the darlings of that year that people remember. Um, but uh, you know, and and I adore Titanic and. My walls were covered in Goodwill hunting posters in my freshman year dorm room. So clearly I love that movie as well as a hometown girl too. But um, but there's something about LA Confidential. And I think it's because I love classic movies so much mm-hmm. and, and, and the throwback quality to it um, that, that I just, I, I adore. So Yeah, good choice. Thank Great you. choice. Great <laughs> choice. Um, before we go, is there anything about Saving Private Ryan or World War II or any of those things that you want to share that we didn't touch on? I would just say, you know, um, I know it's hard to watch, but I actually think what you said is uh, important that I think that what is amazing about Saving Private Ryan, other than the fact that it just like turned war movies on their head in the sense of what you could do and what you could accomplish and what you could say and what you could make your audience think about, um, is that, that, that is, it is important to do all those things, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it's, it's a bit rough to show in schools, but like part of me thinks that, you know, don't. Like we shouldn't hold back the horrors of war because it's important to understand that as best as we can um, as as a human race, yeah. um, and, and and then you know to take it one step further to understand veterans and to help them in in the best ways that we can um, in whatever ways that we can. And, um, and now we are also at the point where there are pretty much no living World War II veterans left, mm-hmm. and their stories are just it's so important to hold on to and remember. So, I mean, in theory, we're supposed to try not to make the same mistakes again. And, and to know these stories would hopefully help us not to do that. So yeah. um, I, I think that it is, it's a brilliant movie from the filmmaking perspective, but also for everything that it has to say. And, um, and if you haven't revisited it lately or if you've never seen it, I'd say give it a try. Yes. If you're in the U.S., it is uh, streaming on Stars. Ah. Well, there you That's go. where I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love, partner. Uh, this was great. Yes. And uh, what do you say? You want to talk about A League of Their Own? Oh, you know I do. All right. So for you guys listening, $5 plus Patreon people, that's your mini. Is We're going to keep going. We're going to talk about A League of Their Own. So <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> That's right. We recorded a very uh, special episode that is a dedicated mini. We're talking about A League of Their Own. So it's like it is a proper mini. It's not even just like a snippet of our bigger conversation. We actually sat down and we talked about another movie that's on the list. And um, and it's a great, great episode. So that'll be up on Thursday on Patreon for $5 and higher subscribers uh, on a monthly basis. I think you're going to really like that episode. We talked about more than just um, A League of Their Own. We talked about film criticism and uh, a whole bunch of other things. It was, it was a really good chat. If you um, haven't already, please subscribe to the 
podcast, please like and review the show and please share it with your friends. It helps other people find it. If you um, rate the show, review the show. And of course, if you subscribe, that's always a good thing. So thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you on Thursday. Bye. Thank you.